Christchurch, New Malden. 13th of September 2020. Stephen Kurt speaking on A Fresh Take on the Pharisees. Well, within most stories, there's usually an opposition, isn't there? An antagonist. Someone representing what needs to be overcome. Within a lot of fiction, all the way from Snow White to James Bond, these opponents are often fairly simple villains, there to represent the evil that the hero or heroine is up against. Within real life, however, it's rarely that simple, with opposition needing to be understood more carefully if we're going to get to grips with any situation involving conflict. There are two sides to every story, the expression goes, even if, in the end, we still decide that right is found on one side rather than the other. When it comes to the Gospels in the New Testament, there are numerous opponents of Jesus this could apply to. In the earliest part of the story, it's King Herod, and at the end of the story, it's the chief priests and the crowd in Jerusalem who persuade Pilate to have Jesus put to death. And in all of these cases, it's helpful to try and understand what was prompting their actions. But the most consistent opponents of Jesus throughout his ministry, and those with whom he had the fiercest conflict, were a group called the Pharisees. That was shown in the readings that we had earlier. In that first reading from Mark's Gospel, we saw the Pharisees so offended by Jesus' words and actions that from an early stage in his ministry, they plotted to kill him. And the antagonism wasn't one-sided. Our second reading from Matthew 23 contained perhaps the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke, with most of it proclaiming God's judgment upon the Pharisees. So they're an important group to understand if we're going to understand Jesus and what he came to do. And that includes being fair to the Pharisees and trying to understand things from their perspective. The word Pharisee means separated ones. What the Pharisees basically believed was that faithfulness to God meant keeping as separate as possible from the surrounding world and the evil within it. By the first century AD, Israel had been dominated by pagan nations for centuries, with Rome simply the latest of these nations. And amongst the Jewish people, there were various approaches to handling this oppression. So some, like the Herod family, saw the answer as basically going along with the Romans and trying to gain power through this. And the Jewish priests, or Sadducees, took a similar line. At the other extreme were the Zealots, Jewish terrorists, who thought the only answer was violent rebellion. But the Pharisees were different from both of these approaches. They believed that God himself would one day act to reverse their situation. That's why, unlike the Sadducees, they believed in a future resurrection as the ultimate sign of that future great reversal that God would one day bring. And in the meantime, the Pharisees believed that the right response lay in staying faithful to God by obeying every single aspect of his law, particularly those parts that kept them separate from the pagan world and the contamination that world represented. That's why observing the Sabbath, acts of ritual purity and food laws were so important to the Pharisees and above all, keeping their distance from sinners. God, the Pharisees believed, was one day going to act to rescue his people and when he did this, those whom he'd vindicate 
were the ones who had stayed separate from the pagans and the sinners and were completely faithful to him. All of which explains the Pharisees' conflict with Jesus, both over the things that Jesus did and the things that he didn't. Jesus healing people on the Sabbath day. Jesus not requiring his disciples to fast or refrain from picking ears of corn on the Sabbath. Jesus not commanding his disciples to ritually wash before meals. And above all, Jesus spending time and eating with sinners. In all of these ways, the Pharisees saw Jesus undermining all of their efforts to promote the faithfulness to God that they saw as vital. And that's what brought the conflict between them. And yet faithfulness to God was vital to Jesus as well, wasn't it? In fact, Jesus claimed to call people to the greatest faithfulness possible. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he said, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what was going on in the opposition between Jesus and the Pharisees? The root of the conflict lay in a completely different understanding of time. The Pharisees believed that the coming of God's kingdom still lay in the future, but Jesus believed that God's kingdom had arrived with his coming. All those laws designed to keep Israel separate from the world, ahead of God's arrival, in quarantine as it were, were now obsolete, according to Jesus, because something much bigger and better had arrived in God's presence and power amongst his people. That's why Jesus used those illustrations about the inappropriateness of people going without food at a wedding celebration, and the folly of people sewing a piece of new cloth on an old garment, or pouring new wine into old wineskins. With my coming, Jesus was saying, something new has arrived, which will burst out of the old ways of following God if you try and contain it within them. To use Another illustration, imagine a day, which hopefully will come fairly soon, when a vaccine finally arrives for COVID-19. The good news is proclaimed, the public are invited to get inoculated, and every kind of interaction is suddenly possible again because the chance of infection has gone. Some rejoice, embrace this good news and act in line with it. They meet up with friends, they celebrate and they party. Others, however, have got so used to masks being worn and social distancing being necessary that they can't hear this message and they continue to believe that the only safe and right way of living is to continue the social distancing and they regard anyone promoting anything different from this as being totally irresponsible. That's the sort of attitude that the Pharisees had to Jesus it's because they simply couldn't recognise the good news that the rule of God, the vaccine to the world's evil as it were, had arrived with his coming. The Pharisees couldn't deny that Jesus healed people and drove out demons, so they claimed that he must be doing this by a demonic power that he himself possessed. But it was God's power being freshly revealed in a manner that meant all of their efforts to stay faithful to God had now been superseded and supremely by the arrival in a more powerful manner than ever before of God's love. That's what made any continuing separation or segregation unnecessary. Before Jesus, faithful Jews would keep their distance from anyone 
they could be infected by, all the way from people with diseases such as leprosy to notorious sinners. Jesus, however, did the very opposite. Mixing with all of these people because the love that he brought and embodied was stronger than the evil that these things represented. That's why the people with leprosy were healed. That's why the demons within people were driven out. And that's why people whose lives had previously been full of sin were transformed. And the reason that Jesus could speak so harshly to the Pharisees was because by remaining in their old ways, they were continuing to be part of the problem rather than the solution. The segregation and ritual that they promoted brought at best only a superficial righteousness, meaning that in Jesus' words they were like whitewashed tombs, fine on the outside, while containing death and decay within them. They gave a tenth of their income to God, and that was good, but they neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And all of this worked to prevent people for encountering the healing and transforming love of God. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, Jesus said. You yourselves do not enter, nor do you let those enter who are trying to. The Pharisees thought that if they approached sinners or allowed sinners to approach God, they would be infected by them, and they didn't realize that with the coming of Jesus, the power of God's love meant that the very opposite was now possible. That's why Jesus transformed lives. He brought the power of God's love into lives where evil in all of its forms was dominant, and by bringing love directly into those situations defeated and disarmed that evil. And that basically is the model that we need to follow as a church if we're going to be followers of Jesus rather than Pharisees. To be so confident about the arrival of God's love in Jesus and so confident about its power that we too are prepared like Jesus to tear down the barriers of segregation that are no longer needed and share that love. That's why, if you've ever wondered, things like the night shelter, our grapevine lunch, the community cafe, our open youth work and welcoming everyone as joyfully as possible to our services are so central to this church. They're all built upon the theological conviction that Jesus brought the coming of the kingdom of God and with it the power of a love that can change people on the inside and has done away with all of those forms of quarantine righteousness that were only ever intended to be temporary. And I guess the challenge this morning is whether we have embraced that liberating love. Are we living as though the kingdom of God has arrived? That doesn't incidentally mean ignoring the current rules about social distancing, which represents a form of being loving to others. What it does mean, particularly at this time, is seeking to do all that we can to demonstrate God's love to others, because we emphatically believe in the arrival of a transforming power of God's love in Jesus Christ. That might involve being part, as some of you have been, in distributing food or other kinds of support and help to those who need it at this time. But it might be as simple as making a phone call to someone that you know is lonely, because you believe that with the coming of Jesus into this world, every single act of love carries with it the supernatural transforming power of God that truly is for everyone. Probably the biggest challenge for Christians here is that of being able to let go of any desire to belong to an elite. 
That's how the Pharisees saw themselves. And wanting to cling on to that status was the major reason they struggled to engage with the arrival of a love from God that did away with what had previously given them that status. But that's what being a follower of Jesus requires from us. Recognition that all of us are sinners. Recognition that all of us need the love of God to change us on the inside. All of which then leads to the recognition that this love is for everyone. And the confidence and the generosity of spirit and action that comes from this. And if we want an example of this change, we have it in St Paul. St Paul was a Pharisee. And like other Pharisees, he believed that God would one day act to change the status quo through the resurrection of all those who had stayed faithful to him. Like other Pharisees, Paul believed that in the meantime, faithfulness to God was all about keeping the law as faithfully as possible, particularly a strict segregation from sinners. Like other Pharisees, he hated Jesus and his followers for undermining this. That's why he was prepared to arrest Christians and be part of having them killed. But all of this changed on that road to Damascus when Paul met with the risen Jesus when he realised that he was the one who had stayed faithful and therefore God had raised him from the dead. That the resurrection that he, like all Pharisees, awaited had happened to Jesus. That changed everything because it showed Paul that God's kingdom had arrived through Jesus and specifically through the power of the love that Jesus showed when he died on the cross. That's why love became the heart of the message that Paul proclaimed, with segregation completely abolished. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Accepting this involved Paul in the humility of acknowledging that all of his previous status in Judaism as a Pharisee was rubbish compared to the joy of knowing Jesus. It also gave him the resulting conviction that this love was for everyone and the desire to express this by taking the message of God's love precisely to those people from whom he had previously kept his distance. That's why Paul was so motivated to take God's love to those that were previously outside of his people, the Gentiles. And if we're going to be a Jesus church rather than a Pharisee church, we'll be just as clear about this and just as determined to reflect it in our actions. We'll recognise that God's love has arrived in Jesus. We'll recognise that this means that the transforming power of God's love is now let loose in the world. We'll recognise that this love is for everyone because we're all fallen sinners and we'll be determined to abandon any idea or sense of segregation and express that transforming love for everyone in our words, our actions and our lives. <laughs>